In Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 16, if you remember from our study last week where we covered almost the whole chapter of chapter 9, we're going to go back and look at a tough section of it. Romans 9, verses 6 through 16. Paul goes on and he says, It's not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, About this time next year I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name may, might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Now we're just going to stop here. And we're going to tackle this discussion, this doctrine of election. Unfortunately, this has been a much debated topic when it comes to God's salvation. We have a tendency, unfortunately, in Christendom to lean to one side or the other in the debate over God's sovereignty and man's responsibility and how God saves. And so what I want to say to everybody tonight as we get started on this is... We need to first off acknowledge that we will never fully understand this. You will never be able to hear God teach you tonight until you humble yourself like a child and be willing to say, I probably won't fully ever grasp this. Go with me to John chapter 3. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about the fact that he must be born again. And he makes an interesting statement in verse 8. John chapter 3, verse 8. Jesus says to Nicodemus, he says, He says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Did you catch that? He said, You're going to see the evidence of the wind, but you really don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. By the way, for those of you that are like me and you like golf, just about the time you think you got the direction of the wind figured out, it can change. And it affects your golf shot, but I'm not here to talk about that problem tonight. We're going to talk about the fact that Jesus said, so it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. In other words, the moment you think you can figure out God's salvation, you're, you're going to be wrong. So first and foremost, as we deal with this, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says it very clearly. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, the things revealed to us and our children. And as you're going to see tonight from the scriptures, there's a lot about God's salvation, though, that we can know. And he has made very, very plain. And so first off, we have to acknowledge we'll never understand this fully on this side of heaven. But number two, here's the interesting thing I want to do, is everybody needs to uncross their arms before we get started. 
What I mean by that is this. Many people listen to teaching on this subject of election not to learn, but to simply see if the teacher agrees with them. They've already made up their mind on who are they, whether or not they're a free will person or a, a sovereignty person, and they'll sit there listening to the teaching just mainly to see if that person agrees with their, where, where they are. And I'm going to tell everybody tonight, uncross your arms. I don't want you sitting there like, well, let's see if he's on my side or their side. Uncross your arms because I'm going to show you scripturally there's no side. The answer biblically is in the middle, and we don't know fully how it all works, but it, both sides have truth to the, how God saves. Many people will have their arms crossed and they'll say, I'll never believe in a God who predetermines some people for heaven and some people for hell. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, before you're ever going to be able to hear God teach on this subject, you need to uncross your arms. Because the scripture says, what if he did it that way? Go with me real quick to Romans chapter 9, verses 20 through 23. Romans chapter 9, verse 20. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? in order to make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy, which he has prepared for beforehand for glory. Now, so look at what he says here. He says, what if God did? He doesn't say God did it that way, but he says, what if he did? As we've talked about last week, none of us had a say whether or not we were going to be born. Yet here we are coming into this world with no say on our own part, even being born. And we want to determine how things ought to be. Paul says, when it comes to salvation and God's plan and purpose for election, God gets to be God. He gets to do it however he wants. What if he did create some for heaven and some for hell and predetermined ahead of time who was going to heaven and who was going to hell? By the way, you're going to see in an interesting way, not in the way that it's been taught, God has predetermined. But what's been predetermined is the process for how one goes to heaven and one goes to hell. You're going to see that actually, even though God gets to do it however he wants, man does have a say. Now, that's that second part. There are some that say, well, I'll never believe in a God who would send people to hell and some to hell. No, no, no. Uncross your arms. God gets to do whatever he wants. But there's other people on the other side of the aisle that are sitting there and say, well, I already have made up my mind that if, uh, if man has a choice, God's not sovereign. Because God's sovereignty means that he has all the say and man has no choice. If man has a choice, God's not sovereign. I'm going to show you from the scriptures tonight that God is sovereign over salvation. This is his thing. This is his work. Yet he's actually more sovereign than the sovereignty people think he is because the Bible teaches he's in full control and he still gives people a choice. Well, how can that go together? We've got to go back to number one again. If you want to try to answer that one, we're never going to fully understand it. For example, how many of you, show of hands here tonight, believe in one God manifested for eternity in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Okay, good. Of all of you that rose, raised your hands, which is everybody in here, how many of you can come up here and explain it? And a lot of us will try to come up with illustrations like apple pie or the sun or ice and water. They all fall short. Let me say this to you. We don't waste our time arguing over that. We don't understand it, but we believe it because that's what the scripture says. There's one God. And he's always eternally manifested himself in three persons. 
and we don't fight over it. The Bible, as you're going to see tonight, teaches that God is sovereign over salvation and man has a choice. And how they go together, we'll never get there. Now, I want to show you real quickly, just a few verses to get us launched into this, that the Bible teaches that man has a responsibility to respond to God. He's not doing this with man as a puppet and he has no say. Go to Romans chapter 9 and look at verses 30 through 10.4. It says, what shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, keep reading. My heart's desire and prayer to God for them, meaning the Jews, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness." For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Look at what he says. He said the Gentiles who didn't pursue righteousness were given it because they just received it by faith. When the Jews, who had so much light revealed to them, tried to earn God's righteousness through their own works, when all along God had shown them, we'll see that when we get to chapter 10 of Romans, all along he had shown them that it was never by their own effort. It was always by faith in what he's done for them. And then he goes on and he says, look, they didn't submit to God's righteousness. They had a choice. Paul said, I, wanted them, I want them to be saved. They had light. They had it revealed. They had a choice. But they chose not to. Go to Matthew 23. Look at verse 37. Matthew 23, verse 37. Jesus has just finished riding on the donkey into Jerusalem. And he says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Jesus wept over Jerusalem and said, I wanted to. I wanted to, but you wouldn't let me. So was Jesus lying, or did they have a choice? They had a choice. Go to Acts chapter 13. Look at verses 42 through 48. In Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 42, as they went out, Paul had just been teaching in this synagogue. He says, they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, Urge them to continue in the grace of God. As you're going to see in just a little bit tonight, if someone's even seeking God, God did the work in their heart first. No one seeks God on their own. He initiates that process. They still need to respond to it appropriately when he initiates it. But man will never seek God on their own. So when these people are curious, they're wanting to know more. They're curious to hear more next Sabbath. Paul says a very interesting thing. He says, continue in the grace of God. In other words, God's working on your heart right now. You better stay there. But keep reading. 
The next Sabbath, almost the whole city, verse 44, gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we're turning to the Gentiles, for the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Isn't that interesting? Paul said, God's working on you. You better respond appropriately. Yet when they got saved, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So does man have a choice or is God sovereign? Yes. How do they work together? I don't know. But I don't have to understand it. I need to believe it. But unfortunately, we want to be like God. We want to figure God out. We want to be smarter than God. And if you as a Christian fight with other Christians over how God saves, I'm going to say this as lovingly as I can. Shame on you. Believe the whole of Scripture and leave how God does it to God. Go to Acts chapter 2. Listen to the Holy Spirit preaching through Peter. As he was filled by the Spirit, when the Spirit came to indwell them at Pentecost. Look at chapter, 20, chapter 2, verses 22 and 23, and then we're going to jump to verses 36 through 41. As the Spirit of God is preaching through Peter, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus... Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You're going to see that's a huge part of election. The definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Then he quotes some other scriptures to show that Jesus rose from the dead. And then he comes in verse 36. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, Nothing, because God does it all himself. And that's not what happens. God opened their hearts, and he said, You now have to respond, repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Now look at this next verse. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added to that, that day about 3,000 souls. Did you catch that? If this salvation was something God does all himself and man has no say, why would Peter, under the inspiration and the power of the Holy Spirit, say, save yourselves from this corrupt generation? In other words, God is the one who pricked their hearts. God awakened them to the truth, but they still had to respond. That's why, by the way, folks, we get no credit. It's because if we do respond, it's because God opened our eyes and our hearts first. We would have never looked for him. You're going to see that tonight in the scriptures. But by his mercy and by his grace, even though he doesn't have to save any of us, he has a plan that's been before the foundation of the world, that it was by his way, his choosing, only one way, and that he has predetermined. 
And in order to show, and as we read in Romans 9, that his purposes for election, listen closely, might continue before Jacob and Esau were even born. Before they had done anything, he had predetermined that the Messiah would come through Jacob and not Esau to show that his purposes for election would continue. Did he? Well, Jim, he loved Jacob and hated Esau. That's because we don't understand the word loved and hated. Actually, in the Hebrew, it's more of a picture of I chose to work through this one. I chose not to work through this one. Didn't the Bible say that we're to hate our mother and father? Well, does that mean I have to hate my... No, no, you see what I'm saying? In other words, we choose Jesus over our parents if there's a choice. And God, before the foundation of the world, had already set in motion his plan for how he would save the world. And there's only one way through one man, and it's only by faith alone in him. And that's his predetermined plan. And anyone who drinks in that manner is the chosen. Who are the chosen? Those who believe in Jesus Christ, and that's the only way you can be saved. But as you're going to see tonight, you wouldn't even go down that road if he didn't start his work in your heart. That's why Paul said to those guys who were curious at that in the synagogue, man, we want to hear more. That sound looks like God's at work in your heart. You better respond. You better continue in the grace of God. And then as many as were appointed for salvation believed. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. Look at verse 9. We're going to put a couple of scriptures together to kind of build the correct doctrine from the Holy Scripture. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Scripture says, The Lord's not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but He's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, before we go any further, go to Ezekiel chapter 18. Go to Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel 18, verses 23 and 32. Ezekiel 18, 23, and then verse 32. Listen to what God says through the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 18, 23. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? Look at verse 32. He answers his own question. For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn and live. Okay, we've just seen that God's not willing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. He gets no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He wants them to turn and live. If God wants all to be saved, but the Bible's very clear that very few are going to be saved. God have no control over that, or has he given man a choice? He's given man a choice. And if you talk to most people today, and you ask them if they died today, would they go to heaven? Most people in the world would say yes. And their answer for why they think they could go to heaven is they think they're a pretty good person. Their faith is in their effort, their work, their goodness. And God says, it's never been by your effort or your goodness. It's always been my, through my provision, my plan, through the one man, Jesus Christ. And that's the only way you can be saved. And that's going to go against your flesh because your flesh wants credit. You want to be seen as impressive. You want to be seen as worthy. You want to be seen as all of that. And the only way you'll ever be right with me is if you humble yourself and say, I am no good. I cannot do it. Would you give it to me? Because I believe that you said I can if I would believe in what you have done. 
And that's the only way, and I receive it. And there ain't a person here in this room who really knows Jesus, who thinks we're impressive because we said yes to Jesus. Because if you know the truth, the fact that you said yes to Jesus was by his grace because he sought you out. As we move forward in our study of election tonight, we must be faithful to the whole of the scriptures and not just to our favorite verses that speak to our side. In doing so, you're going to see that no one will ever come to God on their own until he draws them first. God draws everyone in some way or another, and they must each decide for themselves whether they will respond in faith to that drawing. But as you will also see, not everyone gets the same amount of revelation from God, and each will be judged according to how much light they receive from God. That's where we're going to go in the rest of our time tonight. Nobody even begins to even look for God unless God himself begins to work in their hearts. And he draws everyone in some way, shape, or form. We're going to show you that from the Holy Scriptures. But if we're going to be faithful to the Holy Scriptures, not everybody gets as much drawing as everybody else. Some get more, some get less, and everyone will be judged on that day that the Bible actually says that God will judge all men's secrets through Jesus Christ. On that day when God will judge everyone through Jesus Christ, the amount of light that he revealed to them will be in measurement with how much he judges them. They're going to be accountable. You're going to be accountable for how much God has revealed to you. By the way, for those of us who have been in America, who have had all these Bibles on our shelves and churches everywhere and television and radio and Facebook, there's going to be a higher accountability. We love to talk about America, the Christian nation. We're really not, but we were at one time. And we love to brag about God bless America. The more you brag about God bless America, the more you heap up the amount of, well, judgment that's coming if you don't respond appropriately to all that God has revealed to you by living in America, having you live in America. Go to Romans chapter 3. As you hopefully know, my heart's desire as a preacher and teacher of the word is to use the whole of Scripture to build our doctrine. In Romans chapter 3, look at verses 10 and 11. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Let's stop there. We all talk about the fact the Bible says no one righteous, not even one. But how many of us know verse 11 where it says no one even seeks for God? But doesn't the Bible say that God rewards those who diligently seek him? Yes, but you would never seek for him unless he began a work in your heart. Because in and of yourself, before he begins that work in your heart, you would never seek for him. You would not even do it. Go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verses 44 and 45. Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Don't miss that. Jesus said, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws them first. Remember, no one seeks God. We're all unrighteous, and no one would even look for God on their own. But God begins a work in our hearts, and when he chooses to do that work, 
we must now respond. They all will be taught by God. Whoever hears and learns, or some translations say, listen, those of you who have raised teenagers, is there a difference between them hearing you and listening? Everyone hears, the Bible says. I'm about to show you that from the scriptures. Everyone hears, not everyone listens. There's no such person as a true atheist. The Bible says that everyone knows God exists and all are without excuse. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Look at verse 23. And then we'll go back to Romans chapter 1. But in Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 23. Paul's in the middle of one of his many run-on sentences, but he says something very profound. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 23, he says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Did you catch that? The gospel, the gospel of salvation has been preached in all creation. Does that mean we don't need to send missionaries? No, there are people being born every day. New generations of people across the globe are still needing to hear. We still need to go out as the Spirit leads us and directs us to go individually. But listen, the gospel has been preached in all creation, has always been. Go to Romans chapter 1. Actually, go to Romans 10 first, then we'll come back to one little later. Go to Romans 10. Look at verses 5 through 21. Here, Paul is actually explaining that what God wants people to believe, he's already shown them. For Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, and who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, it's in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Well, as it is written... How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Remember, the gospel has been preached in all, world, all the world and all creation, and they've all heard it, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So are there people in the world who have never heard the gospel? The Bible says no. In some way, shape or form, which we're going to see, they have all heard the gospel. Go to Romans chapter 1. Look at verses 16 through 25. Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, 
who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Oh, for the, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And because they exchanged the truth about God, which he had revealed for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Through creation in and of itself, the Bible says they've heard. His eternal qualities, his divine nature have been clearly seen through what has been made. So everyone is without excuse. Go to Romans chapter 2. Look at verses 12 through 16. For all who sinned without the law will also perish or die without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles, who don't have the law, by nature do what the law requires, it's a law for themselves, even though they don't have the law. They show that the work of the law was written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. He then goes on and says, not only has the whole world seen through creation God exists and his gospel has been proclaimed in that way, even those who never had God's law like the Jews had, he wrote his law on their hearts. we got a world full of people that have a sense of right and wrong. It's interesting, if you know anything about what goes in some on in prisons, the prisons are full of people that have all broken some serious laws. Because if you actually end up going to prison nowadays, you must be really bad because hardly everybody goes anymore. But at the same time, within the prison, you'll have murderers who will kill a pedophile. Because in their minds, as bad as they may be, they're not as bad as that guy. I would never. Every one of us have a sense of right and wrong. It may be different from what I consider right and wrong or someone else considers right and wrong. And I'm going to ask for a show of, no show of hands because I already know the answer. But have any of you ever gone against what your own conscience said was right and wrong? Of course. And the Bible says God's revealed to you that you're a lawbreaker and that you're guilty and you are guilty of sin. I'm going to jump from my notes real quick and point out something that I'm not sure a lot of us have ever seen, but I think God's putting it to my mind right now. Let's go back to Matthew 13, when Jesus talked about the parable of the soils. Go to Matthew 13. Jesus is explaining the parable of the sower and the parable of the soils in Matthew 13, starting in verse 18. He says, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away, which has been what? Sown in his heart. Even though they didn't understand it, they heard it. And it was sown in their heart. Stop real quick. We'll come back to this. Put a big finger mark, bookmark or a finger there. Go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. 
Look at verse 21. It says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Did you catch that? There are people that have the word implanted in their hearts. But they don't respond appropriately. For lots of different reasons we don't have time to get into tonight. But the Bible says, receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. In the parable of the sower, the, the word was sown in the heart of the people along the path. But they didn't understand it. And Satan comes and takes it away. Go to verse 20. As, uh, back to Matthew 13. Matthew 13, verse 20. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word. And immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for the, what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Well, how do we get to that place then if we can understand it? Because if everybody receives the word, everybody hears the word in some shape or fashion, how do we get to that point where we can understand it? The Bible actually answered that question two chapters earlier in chapter 11 of Matthew. Go to Matthew 11. Look at verses 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Isn't that interesting? We're going to go to the verses just prior to this in just a second to illustrate what Jesus was dealing with. But he stops and he says, Father, I thank you that you've hidden this spiritual truth from the people that think they can figure it out with their own intellect. To think that they have to go to seminary or be smarter than somebody else. Lord, I thank you that you have revealed your spiritual truth to little children. For this was your gracious will. And you want to know why? God revealing it not to the smartest people in the room, but to the people who are like children in the room is his gracious will. If we were to go around and test everybody's IQ, there'd be a bunch of different numbers in here, correct? And not all of us would be very high, correct? What if God's truth was only revealed to the smartest? How many of us would be left out? I got to be honest with you. People look at the way that God has wired my brain and blessed me to be able to have most of the Bible in my heart, and they think I'm super smart. Nope. Actually, when I went through school, I became a master at learning what the teacher or the professor was looking for and giving that back to them on test day. I didn't learn a whole lot. But I knew how to play the game of school. I thank God that I don't have to figure out how a lot of stuff that some of you people understand when it comes to math and science and physics. Some of you all are engineers and work at the space station, uh, space, uh, space center and 
you understand how things can get into orbit and you calculate trajectories and weight. And I'm not kidding you. That makes my head hurt. But you know what God's gracious will is? Is that his truth would be revealed to anyone who humbles themselves like a child. And just simply says, help me. I want to know. I don't understand. But you said you would open the eyes of those who are humble. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Lord, Jesus said, no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone that he chooses to reveal the Father to. Well, who does he choose to reveal the Father to? Everybody that humbles themselves. Did you catch that? Oh, they've got enough to know that God exists and that there's a gospel and the fact that they're a sinner and they're in need of a Savior and their righteousness is not in of themselves. Everyone has that already laid out by God through His Word, through creation, through His Spirit, through their consciences. It has been preached in all creation. Their need of a Savior, their need of someone outside of them to make them righteous has been clearly made clear to them. But who it is will only be revealed to those who humble themselves and say, I want to know. Folks, I can tell you right now, if you're listening online or you're here in this room, you can be saved tonight if you would humble yourself and say, Lord Jesus, open my eyes. I really, and he knows your heart. He knows if you really are truly like a child wanting to know. But listen closely. Don't assume you'll get a chance to know more tomorrow. Because in God's sovereign plan, he determines how much light every one of us get. And we have no control over that. Oh, you'll be judged by how much he's revealed to you, but you will be, as you're about to see from the scriptures, you still will be judged. Go back to Matthew chapter 11. Look at the verses just prior to what Jesus said in verses 20 and following. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it's going to be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you'll be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, it'll be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Here Jesus clearly says... You all in Capernaum with Bethsaida, you had more revealed to you than these other nations did, these other cities. And it's going to be harder on the day of judgment for you because the more you had revealed to you, I'm going to hold you accountable in that much more as well. That's why, by the way, those of us who teach, James chapter 3, verse 1, shouldn't, we shouldn't all seek to be teachers because those of us who teach are going to be held in a higher accountability. I have been standing in front of people almost full time for 40 years saying, thus says the Lord. Do you realize I don't take that lightly? Because one day I will stand before God for all the things I said he said. Don't be in a hurry to start spouting off your knowledge when it comes to Bible discussions. Because when you try to be a teacher, you've just put yourself into a higher accountability. I'm not going to take you there time-wise, but Luke 12, 47 through 48 shows that our judgment will be in measurement with how much we've had revealed to us. If you were to go back and look, again, time-wise, we don't have time to go there. If you look at Leviticus chapter 5, verses 14 through 19, there were even in the sacrificial system 
things set up for those who sinned and didn't know that they had broken a law, but they were still guilty. They were still guilty and they had to go make a sacrifice. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. Look what Paul says about himself. 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 17. He said, I thank him, God, who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of all of the ages, immortal, invisible, and only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Look at what he said. He said, I acted ignorantly in unbelief, but God, who could have wiped me off the face of the earth, in his mercy, chased me down. Not only did he chase me down, he gave me more revelation of who he was than others. He not only chased me down, he blinded me. He showed up and knocked me off my horse as I was on my way to Damascus. He actually spoke audibly to me. And why? Why did he choose to give me such a revelation from him? He did it to show that even someone as wicked as me turning against him and killing people that believed in him, he would forgive. Now, a lot of us didn't get the same amount of drawing that Paul did. But God gets to do this salvation however he wants. His purposes of election are that it's his plan, his way, and the only ones that get to be a part of it are the ones who are humble themselves enough to say, your God, your plan, I submit to your plan. Go ahead. Well, it, it, we can go there. Last night, I mean, last week I cheered with a couple of people. Years ago, and I, 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 Tony, I apologize to Tony Evans tonight if I don't get it perfect, but he was preaching years ago, and he used an illustration similar to this. He said the best way we can try to illustrate how God does this work of salvation is that he goes, if I stood here in front of this auditorium of people in our sanctuary here and thousands that are here, and there was a million dollars, I said there was a million dollars for each person in this place that all you had to do was come and receive it by faith. Some of you would get up and run down the aisle and say, I believe it, I want the million dollars. He said, many of you would probably sit there and say, yeah, no, there's got to be a catch. There's, there's, there's nothing's free and all that. And he said, and many of you would probably get up when the service is over and walk away never having received, even though it was true and there was a million dollars for each of you. But let's just say, imagine that that happens, and I personally go, he said, into the foyer and grab a couple of you and say, no, 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 I really want you to come get it. That's how God does his salvation, folks. But he has reasons why he chased some of us more than others. But he also gets to determine when the door shuts, does he not? We can't just assume in our free will, we get to choose whenever we want. You don't know when your time is up. And you don't know when he sides, you've had enough. Well, can I have a little bit more like so-and-so? No, I chose to give them more for my reasons and my purposes, but I chose not to give you that much. You had enough. Folks, that's why we must listen to the gospel when it's preached. That's why the, Paul continues to say, now is the day of salvation. If the Spirit's still working on your heart, if you're still wrestling with this issue, don't think you got tomorrow. Because God may say, you've had enough light. He gets to do this however he wants. 
And just because he chased somebody for 20 years doesn't mean he'll chase you for 20 years. Like I wrote here in my notes, did you notice how God shut the door on those who knew him but rejected? We've already looked last week at John 12, 35 through 40 that they would not believe, could not, sorry, would not believe, therefore he made it so they could not believe. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verses 26 through 31. Hebrews 10, 26 through 31. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately, and by the way, this sinning in the context is rejecting the gospel. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. There's no other way for you to be saved, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and the Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Listen to what the Hebrew writer says. He says, if you have had the truth revealed to you and you deliberately reject it, there's a judgment coming for you that is unbelievably severe. He said, if we trample underfoot the blood of the covenant which sanctified us. Now listen closely, we have to chase something. We got 15 minutes left and we're going to hit it hard and fast. The Bible's very, very clear. I want you to write these down. I'm going to quote them to you, but I want you to write them down and double check me. Don't take Jim's word for it. Take the word of God for it. All right. The Bible's very clear that if you have been saved, if you believed in Jesus and he seals you with his spirit, that's the confirmation of your salvation. He gives you his spirit. If you have been saved and sealed by his spirit, you cannot lose this salvation. That's very important for us to understand what Paul, sorry, not Paul, but the Hebrew writer was saying here in Hebrews chapter uh, chapter 10, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9 says this, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who are being shielded by God's power through faith. I could quote the rest of the passage, but you get the idea. Our salvation is held on to by God for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22 says it is God who makes us stand firm in Christ and has given us his spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also, having heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, which is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. John chapter, 30, chapter 6, verses 35 through 40. Jesus says, I will lose none that the Father has given to me but we'll raise them all up on the last day. If you've been given to Jesus and sealed by His Spirit, you cannot lose this salvation. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that He who began this good work in you will finish it. Hebrews 12.1 and 2 talks about how Jesus is the author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. 1 Thessalonians 25, sorry, chapter 5, verses 23 and 24 talks about how your whole body and soul and spirit will be kept blameless till the coming of the Lord. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely 
do it. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Go to 2 Corinthians 5.21 because I want you to see something. 2 Corinthians 5.21. It wouldn't be called eternal life if he took it away. You're correct. 2 Corinthians 5, look at verse 21. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might. Did you catch that? might become the righteousness of God. You have a choice. I'm going to show you something, because this next section I'm about to read to you here in 2 Corinthians 5 will hopefully help that scary passage in Hebrews chapter 10 make a lot more sense. Because how can we trample under blood the foot, sorry, under, underfoot the blood of the covenant which sanctified us if we can't lose our salvation? We'll go to 2 Corinthians 5 verses 18 into chapter 6 verse 2. Paul says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling who? The world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin that who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Look at what Paul said. He said, here's the gospel, folks. God was in Christ on the cross reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's trespasses against them. At the moment of the cross, Jesus died for the whole world. He died for the sins of the whole world. But Jim, my preacher tells me that Jesus died only for the people that are going to be saved. Well, the Bible actually says in 1 John 2, 2, that he died and he's a propitiation not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the entire world. John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and said, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. It's not 1 Peter, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, listen to verse 3 and following. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for who? For all. Hang on for a second. The message of the gospel is not God's mad at you. But if you change your mind, he'll love you. The message of the gospel is Jesus already paid for all of your sins. It's already been paid for. We now appeal with Christ appealing through us, be reconciled to God. Receive this gift. Receive the salvation which has already been paid for by the blood of Jesus. But if you hear this message and you reject it, you trample underfoot the blood of the covenant you thumb your nose at the blood of the covenant, which the Son of God paid for with his own life, and which would have, has sanctified you. It sets you apart as clean, but you have to receive it. Go back and look later on at Colossians chapter 1. I think it's around verse 19. 
It talks about how at that moment, at the cross, Jesus died and reconciled all things to himself. Things in heaven, things on the earth. The message of the gospel is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him will have eternal life and not perish. But when he implants the word in your heart, however much you get, you must respond. You must humble yourself and say, your plan is the only way. As much as my flesh wants to have credit and my flesh wants to say, I earned it. And how many people who go to church, listen to me closely, how many people who go to church are going to find out on that day that they never knew him? You think about Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, where Jesus says, many on that day are going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name and didn't I cast out demons in your name? Listen, do you hear what they said? Lord, I did these things. My faith is in what I did. Lord, I was baptized. Big whoop. Lord, I, I went to church. Lord, I gave. His plan of election is his choosing. And his choosing is there's only one way to, for you to be saved, through the one he has predetermined before the foundation of the world. And he even chose who that one would come through even between Jacob and Esau, to show that it has nothing to do with how good we are. Everything has to... Remember how we read in Romans 9? So that his purposes in election might continue. It's not by our effort. It's by his only way. And that's faith alone in Jesus Christ. When you stand before God, if you have faith in anything besides you said, I believe you, you're in trouble. Because his salvation is only by faith. Why did the Gentiles get it, but the Jews didn't? Because the Jews tried to earn it. I tithe. I pray. Remember that guy, the Pharisee who prayed like that? But what was the one, the man, man's prayer who was justified? Lord, have mercy on me, sinner. I need you. Jesus died for the whole world. And if you're saved, he seals you. Oh, man, I have more I could show you. Write these down. Look at them later on. Jude, verses 24 and 25. Now him is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless without fault before him and with great joy. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 and 29 talk about how we don't come to a mountain that can be shaken. We come to a kingdom that can't be shaken. Jesus died for everyone, folks. He died for the whole world, but only those who respond in faith are the ones who are going to be saved. And if you think, well, I think Jesus is the way to God, but there are many more other ways, you don't get it. He's already said there's only one way. Well, I don't like that. Well, you're stumbling over the stumbling stone. You're stumbling over the rock, Jesus. So God is predetermined. He's predestined. That the only way to be saved is by faith in his promised one, Jesus, who came from and through God's election and promises. And if you respond in faith, you're elect. You're elect. Because you responded in the way that he has predetermined ahead of time that he would save. You're the elect. That's why all through the scriptures, Paul talks to the elect, to the elect, to the believers. Oh, by the way. You want to catch something else really cool? Go look at it later on. Peter even says, to the elect 
who have an equal standing with God as we apostles. That's crazy, you know? As you've heard preachers say for years, the ground's level at the foot of the cross. Does he save more men than women or women than men? No. He saves people who are willing to humble themselves, like children. In 1973, even though my dad was a preacher and I went to church every time the door was open, had to because my dad was the preacher and my mom was the pianist. An evangelist came to town in a little town of Milton, New Hampshire, in a gymnasium in a high school I would play basketball in later on. In 1973, at eight years old, as the evangelist was preaching the gospel, God opened my eyes to the truth, and I had to respond. I remember getting up out of my seat and just going down that aisle to talk to the preacher who was there and say, I believed in him, in the fact that I knew he existed. I know the Bible stories, but I know I need to do something personally now to receive this. Believing it is one thing the demons believe, and they even shudder. Receive. Receive it by faith. Folks, do we fully understand election now? No. But hopefully, you understand this much, and it'll keep you out of the ditches. This is God's plan and his work. And he's sovereign and he gets to do it how he wants and choose how he wants. But he's also made very clear that it's available to everyone. But if you humble yourself, you can be one of the elect. But you wouldn't even humble yourself if he hadn't even begun the work to chase you down. Because in and of ourselves, we would never seek him without him beginning the process in his mercy and his grace. He not only put the plan in motion, not only paid for it all himself, He's even used people like me to come and tell you one more time, receive Jesus by faith. The time's running short. I love you. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.